Business Women Rock, Episode 25. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here for today's show. I want to start off first by letting you know that I'm coming to you live from Sanibel Island in Florida. My husband and I decided to take the advice of all of the guests that I've had on thus far, which was, listen, take a break when you need it. So we needed a little break this weekend. We came down here to Sanibel. We brought our two little baby birds with us. And so I am stealing away to actually do this intro and the outro in our car so that you don't hear my birds in the background (laughs) and you don't hear the, you know, reverberating walls of the little cottage that we're in. So, uh, so this is totally live in my car. Turns out the car is great for recording. Who knew? (laughs) Anyway, you will be able to find the show notes for today's show on bizwomenrock.com forward slash 25. So let's get into the show. (laughs) My guest today is Amy Millman. Amy is the head of an organization called Springboard Enterprises, and the organization itself is something I'm so excited to bring to light to you because if you don't know about it, you need to. Springboard Enterprises is what some might call a business accelerator or an incubator program, and really what it does is it sets up a program and an entire community that women business owners have access to to help solidify growing their businesses, having processes around that and being able to have outsiders help them with that process and being able to have access to investors that will help them financially get their business to where they need to. It's an incredible organization, and Amy has been the head of it for 14 years since its very inception, and the story that she has behind it is incredible. Now, one thing I want to make you aware of is that we talk a little bit about stats for the organization um, during this interview, but she later actually educated me about the fact that the stats are now even more than what they were. Over 545 women have actually gone through this program, and they've raised over $6.5 billion in equity and investments for these women, and they are about to take their 11th company public. The resources available in this organization have had a huge impact on these women's businesses. So turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Amy, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's great to be here. I am so excited to share your story because, you know, I actually came across springboard enterprises totally happenstance melissa thompson one of our past guests on this show had introduced me to springboard and said oh my gosh you have to talk to that organization they do great things for women in business fast forward a couple conversations i have been so fascinated by what springboard enterprises does for women in business and so i'm i'm so excited to share this story not only from the vantage point of hearing your story and how springboard really got started with you and how you've been growing it and all the services that you've been providing, but honestly, from kind of a topical educational point of view, because you deal with so many businesswomen. So I'm sure that you have so much information to give all of our listeners out there. So I want to really get started at the beginning and find out where your interest in uh, business and women really started from. I ended up after college in Washington, D.C. and working on Capitol Hill 
uh, for a member of Congress who happened to be a friend of the family, believe it or not. And that insatiable need for information and stories and being around all these incredible people who all had goals and and passion and aspirations and a drive for public service. And my career evolved so that I became uh, a lobbyist uh, in Washington, which means basically you're representing uh, uh, an interest, a corporation, an association, an industry sector about their point of view. I, I like to say you're a, kind of a salesman for a point of view um, to the members of Congress who basically all need to be informed. They come with certain knowledge and they get a lot of input from their constituents, but they really need expertise in the form of what is the position of, you know, the forest industry or small businesses in a particular area of the country. And so thousands and thousands of individuals who represent the interests of specific areas. And we obviously know a lot about that. Usually they're given a bad rap, but I kind of look at it it as sort of the whole democratic process of people sharing their interests and their ideas and their voice um, in a representative government. And so I did that for quite a long time for major corporation and for a few trade associations. And then in the process of all of this, I became a board member of an organization that was promoting women as candidates for public office. It was called the Women's Campaign Fund. And we would recruit very talented women and then basically coach them and teach them and introduce them to people that would help them become elected. And that was very, very exciting to me. It was about the time, of the beginning of the Clinton administration. So in early 90s, at that same time, I met several uh, women who came to me and said, uh, we're trying to fill positions in the Clinton administration. And there is this, this commission on women's business ownership that needs an executive director. It was a setup by Congress in the Reagan administration to look at bold initiatives that would increase the opportunities um, for women entrepreneurs, women business owners. And I, I'll be honest with you, I had really never met a woman business owner at, at, <laughs> at that point. I, I, you know, Not in that space at all, huh? No. You know, now that I think back at it, I probably did, but they weren't very visible. You know, even if it was a mom and pop shop, you know, the pop was the one that was visible and you never really thought of the women as owning anything. And so I was a little curious about this and I thought this would be an interesting experience. So I, I took the position and I have never looked back. The energy in the room, the excitement of meeting all of these women who had these big dreams um, and challenges And I thought, whoa, I could use all of those lessons and all those connections that I made as a lobbyist to begin to, as I always say, connect the dots. How do I help these women, you know, get over whatever obstacles in their way, look at the challenges that they faced, figure out whether or not there's something we could do about it as a government entity, or could we find some private sector uh, opportunities that would essentially change their fortunes. And, uh, and that, was, that was the goal for eight years of running that council 
uh, with women entrepreneurs and also representatives of major organizations that represented women entrepreneurs and business owners. And it was, I, I would say it was the highlight of my entire career, at least up to that point. So just a quick question to, to dive in there a little deeper of how, about how that worked. You were part of this commission on women in business. What did that entail for you? It sounds like you were meeting a lot of different women business owners. Were you building out programming for them? Were you help setting up funding for them? Were you help setting up education for them? Like what, what did the daily routine really look like? Well, it was really like being a catalyst. It was sort of bringing people together who had like interests or finding we did a lot of research. We funded some research to explain that, you know, there was there was a, a myth at the time that women were not credit worthy. And maybe if you look back probably 10 years earlier than that, they had just passed the Equal Credit Opportunity Act which meant that, you know, they couldn't discriminate against women. There used to be that, you know, you'd have to have your husband or your father co-sign a note for you if you wanted to buy a car or something because they didn't think that women had the wherewithal. And honestly, my mother never had any credit. When she went to get a, when my father passed away and she went to get a credit card, she had no credit. So it really wasn't very long ago at all where women were not considered to be credit worthy. So we did a study which showed that women, women led businesses were as credit worthy as any business. And that was a myth that a lot of bankers didn't really understand because that's not how they were trained. And when they saw that all of a sudden the floodgates opened and everybody wanted to go and market their, their lending products to women. And we also did the same thing with contracting with the government and setting up you know, bringing together people who could do private sector initiatives, certifications for women-led businesses and women-owned businesses that would do business with not only governments, but also with corporations who were looking to check a box that said that one of their suppliers was a woman. And so that, and then we got to access to capital. And that was the biggest hurdle. How do you increase you know, you've done it on the lending front, but how do you really open up the floodgates for women entrepreneurs who needed to raise money to grow their business, not just launch their businesses, but grow their business significantly? And that became the big challenge. So you spent eight years basically with your kind of fingers dug into all of these nuances of women in business and kind of connecting all of those dots how did the idea of Springboard Enterprises even come about after that? Well, that's a really good segue because, you know, you asked the question of what did we do? And so we would convene groups. We called it a brain trust. Of There were about two, 250 women's organizations that we identified around the country that were representing women business owners. And we would pull groups of them together to say, where are our common agenda? And at some point, someone said, we really needed to go around the country and identify where the access to capital gaps were. And so the Federal Reserve was actually a member of the National Women's Business Council, which was that council that I ran and they were some of the, the government sector members of this. And they said, we'll collaborate with you on uh, uh, seminars and workshops around the country where we can bring together lenders and investors with women entrepreneurs and really in a workshop setting and, divide, and decide 
you know, what would we do? How, what could we actually put into place or how could we dispel some myths? How could we work together to increase capital access for women? And we had done probably about seven or eight of these workshops that year and found ourselves in San Francisco. And this was 1997. And we were sitting there with a bunch of women entrepreneurs and some lenders. I don't know that we had investors in the room at the time, just a lot of bankers. And one of the women entrepreneurs in the room raised her hand and said, you know, this was really great of you to put this together, but honestly, it's irrelevant to us. And I, I kind of said, oh, this is not going well. And she said, I said, you explain to me. And she said, well, these bankers are not going to lend to us because we are technology entrepreneurs. We have no collateral. We have nothing tangible. There are no bricks and mortar appeal to them. And they're not used to putting their money into anything that doesn't have three years of revenues. And the chances are that we're not going to have revenues for many, many years. I didn't really understand what she was talking about. And I really didn't understand anything about the equity world at that time or the, or the technology world for that matter. Washington, D.C. was as removed from the technology revolution as anything could possibly be. And so I went back to Washington and I knocked on a bunch of doors and I said, educate me. What is going on? And they said, all right, here's what's happening. We're in the middle of an explosion of new technological advances. And the only way to actually fund these businesses is through private investments. And so there is a whole world of investors who are experts in, as engineers and, and in computer activity, who understand what it takes to build software and hardware products. And they're looking for millions of dollars to get these things, the prototypes even built. And so I said, well, what can we do to help? And they said, well, you could find a way to introduce these entrepreneurs to investors. And at the time, and you see it today, the uh, the way that you introduce people, if you didn't have somebody who to make that personal introduction, you applied to present at a venture forum. And as luck would have it, the chairman of this National Women's Business Council um, was probably the only woman in America that ever built a multi-billion dollar business. Uh, Kay Koplovitz was the president Uh, President Clinton's uh, choice to chair this council. And she happened to be sitting on the Oracle board at the time. So she asked the CEO, Larry Ellison, if he would lend us his conference center and we would do a venture forum. And we said, okay, well, we had to go to a couple of venture forums to see what they actually were like. So we went and it was probably the most uninteresting, boring (laughs) experience that I've ever had. Somebody standing up at a podium, darkened room, hundreds and hundreds of people sitting there in chairs and, you know, slides that you could not make heads or tails of, you know, flashed up on the screen above them. And we said, well, you know, we could probably improve on this process. But the second challenge was, are there any women... Are there enough women to put up on the stage 
and will the investors come? So ultimately, we found uh, hundreds and hundreds of women um, who were interested in getting access to investors. And we found a tremendous group of investors. And thanks, you know, to the folks at Oracle who, you know, knew every investor in Silicon Valley, everybody showed up. And we had 350 applications for 25 or 26 slots uh, wow. on a, a one-day event. And all of those companies got funded. Wow. And we said, uh-oh, I think we're on to something. And maybe there are other parts of the country that also could use a venue like this. And so we went to Washington, D.C., where AOL was uh, reigning supreme in those days, and they hosted an event. We got another 350 applications, and we presented another 20-something companies. And then we went to Harvard and then went back to Silicon Valley the following year and kept this up in all different regions of the country where we began to learn a lot about you know, how to make those introductions and how to help women in this particular segment of, of the business world and the financing piece. It was that wild ride PhD in women's entrepreneurship and venture capital. At that time, you know, we were just doing this with collaborative groups around the country, you know, just putting together, you know, finding places to do things, all volunteer and, we were approached by a foundation out of Kansas City called the Kaufman Foundation. And uh, the founder of that, Ewing Marion Kaufman, had been the uh, an entrepreneur who uh, started in his basement uh, grinding oyster shells into drug products, which then became Merrill Dow Corporation. And uh, when he died, he left his fortune to the Kaufman Foundation for the support of entrepreneurship. And they approached us and said, we think that women are an underserved market and we think that you have an opportunity to make an impact and we would like to provide you with grant money to, if you were to start a nonprofit, to educate the women and, and build you know, the opportunities for them. And we said, all right, I think we can do that. We have learned quite a bit and... I always say that I actually drew the short straw as the person who would run it. All the other founders, quote unquote, are running their own companies and are very, very successful. And uh, they said, Amy, uh, the Clinton administration's over and you need a job anyway. So why don't you take, the, <laughs> why don't you take this on? And, and again, I'm a passionate advocate you know, and a connector. And so it was really, to be honest with you, the right person to be put in this position, you know, I'm not a business owner. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm an advocate, uh, an ambassador for these women who are just amazingly talented and uh, provide an opportunity for all of us to to benefit from their successes. So, how many founders were there altogether? I would say there were probably about seven or eight over that first year who participated in. The, the planning, the discussions, and the execution of those three programs that we did. And you were really the master director of it all. So you were getting everyone's input, everyone is having ideas, and then you, would re- you really have become the person who rolls it all out. 
you know, I would honestly say that it was so collaborative that first year that, you know, none of us sort of knew everything, but we were all contributing in our roles. So I would say that was what was so beautiful about it. Nobody was really running anything in that first year. We all, we would talk constantly. And these were people in Boston, New York, uh, California, Kansas City. We would talk constantly about how to build this or what we learned or what some of the issues were or challenges and how would we promote and how would we review the businesses and who would we bring in to help us coach these companies for their presentations and you know should we use a podium or should we just use a lavalier mic are we building relationships and every single iteration was a contribution of somebody to the process so it was really just this mass collaboration, really everyone looking from the outside in and saying, what is it that we really want to create here? We've done all of these um, stops in all these cities. They've been super successful. It's obviously a need. Now let's actually create something solid that we can now really take to market and, and do very professionally, right? That's exactly what happened. You know, at the end of a year, year and a half, um, when the Kauffman Foundation approached us, and that was my connection, I knew them. And I had done some programs with them prior. And I said, you know, this is really interesting. I think we could actually build a platform where many organizations and individuals can begin to see a business opportunity and create their own things on top of this platform. So you mentioned a couple of pockets in which I see as an outsider that you really need to build up in order for this to be a success, a true success of like network. And, you know, it, you talk about the springboard network. It's not just a program that you go through, but it's an entire network that you now have access to and, and can utilize and leverage in your business journey. So one of those pillars are your investors. One of the pillars are the actual businesses who are looking for that structure. And then all these coaches as well. So can you kind of dig into each of those pillars a little separately and talk about how you build those up? Like, how do you line up the investors? How do you get applicants to apply? How do you build these relationships and have a program with the coaches? Can you touch upon all of those? Well, that's my secret sauce. <laughs> that's the Amy special. Yeah. <laughs> so... It- One of the things you learn when you're hanging around with entrepreneurs is that there is nothing out of reach. All you have to do is ask. And in this world, there is so much creativity and so many connections. Hillary Clinton always used to say, you know, it takes a village, right? Well, in entrepreneurship, I always say it's not a spectator sport. You really have to get out there. You have to be not only selling but you have to be being creative and innovative and thinking and connecting and listening and engaging. And so, you know, what I learned in this is that, you know, most businesses are very, very proprietary about what they do, but entrepreneurs don't have that luxury, especially in the very early stages. They have to be talking and explaining and getting input and feedback and trying it and then fixing it and trying it again. And in the beginning, it was, you know, we didn't know anybody. So we just started approaching the people that we did know 
and using people that we, you know, this was before LinkedIn, we created our own LinkedIn is who do you know? And, oh, look at all the people that you know. Can you introduce us to those people? Can you introduce us? Can those people introduce us to people? And then we started to identify their expertise. People say, how did you find the applicants? Well, you know, we'd say, where do women go? Where do you find women? And you didn't find them at the venture capital companies, firms. You didn't find them at the golf course. You didn't find them in the normal places where those deals were getting done. And so we said, all right, well, we know they go to the gynecological offices. We know that they go, where can we go where women go? And so we'd go to the sororities. We'd go to anywhere where we could find women. And that worked for about three, four, five years until we began to develop a network of referrals. And I will tell you, probably was the most important year, I think, two years were in 2006 and 2007. In 2006, we decided we would convene a group of our springboard alumna. And that was, you know, what, six years after we had done our first program. And we had probably about 250 entrepreneurs that we had worked with. And so about 150 of them came to Kansas City and gave us a lot of input on their journey, their experience, what they learned, what they'd like to impart to others, and what they were what they were doing now and where they were going. And that was exciting for us. And we thought, whoa, we hadn't realized that what we had built, which you know most colleges and universities understand, is you have a very rich alumna network. And these women, they were people with very deep and rich careers, not just in starting businesses, but probably about 15, 20 years in the business world. And so we decided that what we needed to do was use them a lot more effectively. And so the following year, we did our first global or international program, rather, um, with Israeli companies. And we assigned one of our Springboard alumna to each one of those companies to lead a team of coaches. And that changed everything. Because then you realize, whoa, the real assets were the entrepreneurs themselves. Now, we had had thousands of of investors and other lawyers, accountants, bankers, business development experts involved with us as volunteers all these years, it wasn't until that point that we didn't really value the network we'd built as strongly as we needed to. And that's when we started to connect everybody. You really were doing like homegrown economics, basically. I mean, what you were doing is you were bringing these entrepreneurs who wanted to apply to your program, utilize your program back in 2006, 2007, that was already 250 of them. And you were really realizing that now they really started taking on other roles in your entire network that were so critical. And because they've gone through your program, because they have now been out in the world and know all this knowledge about business, now they can come on as coaches. Now they can come on as supporters, all that sort of stuff. You're really home growing your, your own economic cycle, really. Exactly. And honestly, it never occurred to us until that moment. And we all looked at each other. We said, our biggest assets, our most important assets are the entrepreneurs themselves. And they, in turn, 
have connected us with some of the best companies that they know, you know, fit the criteria and the and the community that we've built. And that I I can honestly say that's the you know the family jewels right there. So let's dive into exactly what the experience is like for an entrepreneur who wants to apply for your program. What exactly does your business system look like? Like what process do they go through and what do they participate in and what do they get? Like, what does that program look like? Mm -hmm. Well, we always say it's sort of like the Hotel California. You can check out, but you can never leave. (laughs) And we recruit entrepreneurs through our networks, through our lawyers, our accountants, our investors that we know who have invested in our companies, either as resource providers or as, as funders. We put together you know, committees uh, to recruit, and uh, many of them are our entrepreneurs. So you apply, and basically you're filling out an application, which is like a mini executive summary of your business. So we can get an idea of who your management team is, you know, your capabilities, your, your vision for the company, what a little bit about your product and your business model. And then we virtually do a a review and we have hundreds of people looking at these applicants and providing feedback, which we then share in summary with the companies. And then we select a few of those companies to uh, be interviewed in by a panel of investors where we you know have them do a a 10-minute presentation and then we get to ask questions and they get to ask questions and we decide whether or not we can help them and that process also requires us to provide feedback to those companies and then we select a small group of them to actually go through the program for one of better term. It's more of like a virtual accelerator rather than a, you know, uh, I need to be in one place for three, four months working day to day with, with people. No, we have people all over the globe who, depending on their expertise that may be relevant to this business, will be in touch with them over a certain amount of time, three, four months to talk about, opportunities and filling gaps in their team and in their knowledge base and helping them develop the product or get the product into a new market, depending. Everybody is case by case, you know, not a one size fits all. Those companies that we select, we invite to a one day or actually it's now two day boot camp program where we do an assessment of their market opportunity, their management team, their actual presentation style, you know, is your presentation compelling or, you know, are you nervous when you make a presentation, which could reflect on your business and your technology assessment? What is your technology based on? How are you building it? Do you have the right resources available to you? And is it scalable? And then the final thing on it is, you know, in addition to the personal stuff, how can we help you with your messaging? How can we make sure that it is crisp and that you are speaking investor as opposed to trying to sell your product? Because investors are really interested in one thing very, very specifically, how you make money 
And how you make money will tell them how they make money. I love that. And so you've had so many women go through this program. Um, I'm looking at stats now. You've had 545 women entrepreneurs going through your program. You've been able to raise $5 billion in equity or investments for these companies. And 10 of those companies have had an initial public offering an IPO. So this is not small stuff. What you guys have built over these past 14 years are definitely getting some major players out into the marketplace, including companies like Constant Contact, iRobot, that cool little vacuum cleaner that goes around your house, and Zipcar as well. So these are these are household names, no names, that you guys are bringing through your system very successfully. So the system that you guys have built is obviously working And my question to you is, what are your goals for being able to expand this? Do you have expansion plans for how you're going to expand and scale out Springboard? How do you want to grow? Well, that goes back to our whole idea of growth. You know, so what is, what is growth to Springboard? For us, it's really finding companies that we feel we can assist in scaling, So it's not about us covering the entire world and managing to find as many business owners as possible and then helping all of them. It's, you know, can we take a few that we could actually really get very, very deep with and help them and engage them again as, you know, as experts in our network. And so the process after boot camp is one of putting together a personal advisory team for them of people who we feel are synergistic or relevant to their business opportunities. And that tells us a lot about how they can begin to do business together. So you talk about iRobot and you know, they engaged one of the one of the lawyers that we worked with as their attorney to take them through their IPO in 2005. And you know, I could go on and on with stories of how our process eventually ends up as being an opportunity for people to meet the right resources to you know to support their team, their business, their efforts. And that actually led us to a connection in, uh, as we talked about before, in Israel. But it also lately has led us to connections in Australia. So through our connections, very close connections with Dell, Dell Computers, Dell Corporation, we were invited to come to an event that they host with global women business owners And we met uh, someone who is now our partner in Australia. And after a considerable amount of research about what the market was, what the need was, what our opportunities were there, we have been collaborating for the last two years to find entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs in Australia who we could work with and provide opportunities for them to penetrate the U.S. market. Last year in uh, 2013, we had eight companies. This year, we're working with eight companies. And two of the companies have successfully penetrated into the U.S. market based on connections that we've made for them. Wow. Including one company now who will be an entrepreneur in residence with uh, a big multinational insurance company called Aon. Uh, Again, another supporter of Springboard and our companies. But the 
opportunity is, I mean, when you talk about scaling, the opportunity for that company and the opportunity for Aon to learn about new technology that will help them evaluate risk in that industry is tremendous. So it's a big win-win. So I didn't really answer your question on growth because I have a difficult time answering that. Growth to me means the growth of our companies. And if you have a very large operation, you can't get deep in supporting the companies. You can just provide them with surface expertise and you know, short-term goals. We're not into this for the short term. You know, we're into this for their careers, their entrepreneurial careers lifelong. So companies that may have exited or sold or gone public or closed, entrepreneurs who have run those companies will start another company or will become an expert in our network or become an interim CEO in a company that we connect them with or a board member, or an investor, as we're seeing now. We're creating this 360 connecting circle of women with an expertise in building, investing, and engaging with early-stage innovative companies. The reason I so love the answer to that question is because you are taking something that would traditionally be built out as sort of a franchise model. So Let's start Springboard in LA. Let's start a Springboard in Chicago, in New York, um, and have all of these localized components of it and building out programming there. Instead of doing that, what you're talking about is sort of going deeper with less entrepreneurs, let's say, for the purpose of having the larger impact. So you're actually doing an inverse model where instead of branching out, you guys are staying uh, condensed internally and really strong internally, continuing to build out your network of resources. And then everyone's coming to you basically is what's happening. That's exactly right. I love that. And the idea is that I am not a business owner. You know, every, everybody in our network is a business owner, but me. And so when I think about building this out, I think about advocacy. So you bring up a really good point and I want to jump into there to ask this question. So you say that, you know, you're not a business owner, you're an advocate. Um, but that really draws me back to the question of how does Springboard make money? How are you guys funded? How, how are the resources that you guys provide funded and, and how are they managed to continue uh, all these years? You know, you find your money based on people who have an interest in your mission. So we're very mission oriented. Our mission is to create opportunities and connections for women entrepreneurs who are seeking funding for their technology and life science businesses. And there are people out there who want to meet these businesses. They want to be in on the ground floor so they can say, oh, you know, I knew iRobot, you know, in the beginning. I helped them in the beginning and I grew with them. And I mean, that's the American way. Nobody ever really thought of women-led businesses as that, you know, potential uh, wealth creator opportunity. And we have been evangelists for that, saying, you don't seem to understand. This is a, if you get in now and we're telling you, these are the companies you want to know. And we've already basically done our vetting. You want to know them. You want to be providing them services because it'll pay off as they grow. And that 
is something that people didn't feel comfortable with because investors like to invest in people they know or people that look like them or act like them or came from the same school or industry that they came from. And a lot of them didn't know women. So it has been a pushing a rock up a hill to try to explain to them, wait a minute, you're missing out on a business opportunity. And once they began to see that they were missing out on business opportunities that could be very lucrative for them in, you know, three to five years, they began to get interested in our program and visibility and involvement. And we don't take very many sponsors because we're looking for people who have relevancy to our companies. So obviously lawyers and accountants and insurance folks, and then anybody in the industry sectors in which we operate. So pharmaceutical companies, technology companies, et cetera, and now a little bit more into the into the world of consumer products, rather. And we're just starting a new program this week called uh, Fashion Tech Lab, where we're going to look at technology businesses that could revolutionize the fashion industry. You are constantly managing these sponsors who are fulfilling the financial needs of Springboard, actually continuing to run and keep its doors open and all that sort of stuff, who may or may not necessarily be the direct investors of these entrepreneurs, but definitely have to have a a mission that's right along the same lines as yours or fulfill a need of the entrepreneur and sort of be a part of your whole ecological system is what I'm hearing. It's, that is so perfect. I mean, we, we talk about the ecosystem. So what does it take to build a business? You have to have a good lawyer. You have to have a good accountant. You have to have, you know, funding. You have to have business development expertise. You have to be able to sell your product. So all of the people that we bring around are people who have a vested interest in that ecosystem. You've just had some serious success continuing to churn out of your program. And it's it's obviously a, a huge component of it is really because you are there running it and you've built a really good system for people to be able to come through. So big congratulations for you. I really want to end this interview asking your advice. I want to know what you would share with all of our listeners out there of women who are running their companies, coming from the standpoint that you see women entrepreneurs come through your program day in and day out, what advice would you give to our women out there who are building their companies and really, really want to take it big? I think that the most important thing that I've ever told entrepreneurs is this. You cannot do this alone. It's, it's impossible to do it alone. You really need a personal advisory board around you at all times. And that may change, the, the membership of that may change, but everybody needs an advisory board. Everybody needs advisors around them. And it's important to seek them out because those are the people that are going to be the truth tellers, the inspirers, the, uh, the folks who provide you with the resources when you reach that wall and don't know how to get around it or over it. And I find that most entrepreneurs and business owners who who find themselves in that situation have not replenished those boards or advisors in such an instance that will help them whenever they need them. And it, you know, it doesn't have to be a weekly or a monthly or even a yearly meeting. They just have to be there and somebody that you've asked to provide you with that expertise when needed. And I think that 
you know, it's a very lonely to be an entrepreneur. And it's even lonelier if you don't reach out and if you don't think big and you're not bold and you're not brave. And I honestly um, think that women have a lot more capabilities of building bigger businesses or more robust businesses or impactful businesses than they give themselves credit for. Amy, I really, really want to thank you for telling us more about Springboard and about your experience. And just from your last statement, I can verify over and over again, every single guest I've had on this show can can vouch for exactly what you just said, which is, you know, we can do some big things if that's what you want. There's just no limits. And every single guest on my show has has said exactly that. So I really, really want to thank you for taking your time today. Thank you for sharing with everyone about, you know, all the great things that you guys are doing. Big congratulations on all the success and just keep it up. You guys are, you guys are totally rocking, man. Thanks, Katie, so much. And by the way, if anybody's interested, we've sort of captured the, uh, a lot of the intelligence from some of our entrepreneurs about how to really give one of those presentations, how to think about how you would message your business. Um, and you can find it in our learning center on uh, sb.co, which is our our website. And, you know, it's available for anybody who's interested in exploring. There's some videos on there of people giving very, very short pitches uh, talking about their management or their milestones or their market or their money, I encourage everybody to go in and take a look. And you can also get that on bizwomenrock.com, and I will make a link for that in Amy's show notes. So, Amy, thanks again for everything. What a great resource. Thanks, Katie. Have a good one. One of my goals for the Business Women Rock community is to make sure that you have access to really great resources that can help you in your business journey. So if you think that Springboard Enterprises might be something that you would be interested in, go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 25 and you will find the links to their website there and you will find the links to exactly the resources that Amy was just talking about and you can read up a little bit more about who they are and what they do and all that great stuff, okay? So I hope you really enjoyed that. It was such a great story. Amy is really great as an advocate and I loved the fact that she's so passionate about the entrepreneurial community and she as herself as a businesswoman just takes so much pride in bringing that community together. So thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate you being here and I'll see you on the next episode. 